Howdy, y'all! Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. This is my podcast. Oh, man. Oldie but a goodie today, man. I've got my buddy Cody Walters on the show. You may remember Cody. He was one of my first guests on the podcast. Cody and I go way back working together as a director cinematographer team. Cody and I have worked together for a long time, and he's one of the most talented cinematographers I know, but he's also recently integrated that with another one of his passions, which is the outdoors. So Cody's been shooting a lot of outdoor stuff these days, a lot of hunts of birds and deer, turkey, all that fun stuff. I was able to ask him a lot of questions I was super curious about with the conservation world and with how hard it is to shoot this stuff and freezing cold weather and all the circumstances that we put ourselves through for whatever reason to make these pictures. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Here's my chat with my buddy, Cody Walters. We're doing the podcast. Professional bullshit is this. <laughs> Dude, uh, how are you? I'm great. Good. Uh, I have... It's been a while since we've worked together. Yeah, it has. We're getting ready to do it, though. I know. I'm excited. I am, too. I don't know much about your new world. It's almost like two of your worlds have collided, your uh, your, your cinematography world and your um, your passion for the outdoors, and especially you know your passion for hunting, yeah. right? Yeah. It's all coming together. Yeah, finally joined the two together. Been trying for a while. Finally made it happen. I'm doing the same thing, kind of. Yeah, you know, I mean, with my with my fly fishing film stuff. Absolutely, you know, trying to put some passions together. Yeah, making pretty pictures with uh, with uh, a, a passion than what I would want to do in my spare time. But it's yeah. like it's hard. Yeah, you, it it's is. a lot harder than you would think to make the Venn diagram crossover. Like to Could find that space where you yeah. can do your favorite things all at the same time. Yeah, especially when you have uh, a household dependent. Like depending on you. Oh, I could go shoot. You know, my favorite stuff in the world is finding somebody to pay for it. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's the tough part. But that started to happen, I think, for both of us a little bit. But, yeah. But you are like, man, some of the places I've seen you, North Dakota. Um, I guess we're going to Canada. Yeah, we're going to Canada uh, next week. Yeah, it's like some of the places, especially with these migratory birds that you're filming. I, I mean, you get taken to some of the places that just are the most idyllic kind of locations in America, it seems like. Yeah, it's really, it's cool to get to see a lot of different places that, I mean, people just don't get to see, you know? I mean, you travel to these states and go to big cities, but we're, I mean, middle of nowhere, getting to meet some awesome people and getting to see things that, like I said, like a lot of people, unless you live there, you know, you're not getting to see it. How? Do, so, yeah, I think about like you filming in you know like a quail hunt in north dakota i don't even know what you hunt in north dakota but like filming in in some of the stuff i've seen that you've shot up there you have to be out in the middle of nowhere are there hotels or there restaurants anywhere nearby or do you fly to the to the smallest airport in the region and drive four hours yeah that that that's it (laughs) really uh so when we were in north dakota we were in a town called leeds that i think the population was about 600 people nice they had a grocery store that had a sign on the window that said hours depending. Yeah. I'm like, you know. Why not? Who was available to work. Sure. And who was shopping. And, you know, if the rodeo was going on, nobody's showing up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But they 
did have a bar that was always open. Uh, they yeah. had one bar. Yeah, I bet <clears throat> that becomes like I always think about that with places that are that are dark and kind of isolated. Yeah. Like, like I've heard like where we're going to be in, in, in Saskatchewan next week. Like it's like people just start drinking about uh, uh, September and yeah. stop in about <laughs> April. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I've done quite a bit of work in, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin and talked to people there. And it's like, what do you do in the winter? And they're like, eh, Netflix. Yeah. Snowmobile. Yeah. You can't go. I mean, you can barely go outside, right? Yeah. I mean, it's in the negatives. Brutally and- cold. And snow everywhere. Uh, I couldn't do it. Yeah. So, is most of the stuff that you're shooting is it is it birds or there other kind of uh, uh, other kind of animals? I would say um, this year has been a lot of waterfowl. Um, okay. But we're you know. What are some examples of that? Ducks. Ducks, geese. geese um, you know, most migratory birds. Um, we've been. Um, I've I've been filming a. A television series called The Grind. It's a long-standing shows on um, Outdoor Channel. Oh, cool! Um, so we've been filming that, and then doing quite a bit of projects for Polaris. Um, and Polaris makes like ATVs and snowmobiles and all that. Yep, yep. And so we're primarily focusing with Polaris ambassadors in the hunting world. Ah, cool. So they um they sponsor, you know, certain people who, you know, have television series or are just, you know, very prominent, you know, people in the hunting world. Mm. And so we go to their farms, facilities, wherever they hunt and, you know, film them using uh using Polaris UTVs yeah. side by side spent Probably the I've probably spent more time in a Polaris side by side than I have a car this year. Really? <laughs> yeah. Man, we took one of those up to Royal Blue one time. Yeah. Side by sides. Yeah. Or or Windrock or something. One of those two. Yeah. Those things will go anywhere. They will literally go anywhere. Yeah. We we filmed on a farm in Missouri um, for a gentleman named Tony Vandemore, and he's you know probably one of the most iconic waterfowl celebrities. Um, alive and his farm they flood you know hundreds of acres of corn barley wheat and the only way to get around are those polarises and because it's because there's water yeah super it's, deep it's water? six to, six to eight inches of water what do you mean they flood it they intentionally flood they it? intentionally flood it how so, do they do it just like <clears throat> dam it up somewhere and let uh, it rain they have pumps and they pump water in. Mm-hmm. Yep. So typically they get a permit from a local or a um, a river tributary that's close by, and they'll pump water out of that into. So they basically build, you know, land dams around these um, agricultural fields, and they'll just pump water in, flood them, and that brings the ducks in. Really? Yeah. So the ducks come in when there's six or eight inches of water yep. and it's flooded. Yeah. What's that do? Does that like bring food up to the surface or what? Well, I mean, if you're a duck, a lot of things want to eat you. You're, mm. you know, you're not, a, your stature is not very big, but you know, in the water, they feel very comfortable. Mm. Um, I mean, they definitely will eat in dry fields. You know, when you get up into the North Dakota, South Dakota area, there's not as much water, um, but they're always going to find water. So their their typical habits are, you know, they roost at night on water, go to a field, feed, then find what they call a loaf pond or body of water, hang out, 
drink some water, then go back to feed, and then go back to roost. So if you have water and there's agriculture in that water, then you're going to have birds that are going to show up if you're in that flyway. Yeah, so these flyways are, they are these kind of vertical travel, uh, uh, these like paths that the birds take from north to south? Yeah, they're highways for the birds. And are they, can you look at a a map of the United States and kind of know where each one of those are? Mm -hmm. What what makes, so these birds migrate. They migrate from from Canada down to the southern tip of the United States, right? Yep, Yep. go down to Louisiana, Texas. And and they do so because it gets, they they fly south and you always hear that birds fly south in the winter, Mm -hmm. but that means they have to make the return trip at some point. Yep. And when do they come back up? Like spring, early spring, they start heading back. Okay, and what are they? What are they following? I always assume that it's like, you know, they call the the Floridian the, the old Floridian snowbirds. Yeah, but yeah. they just can't handle it on their bones and joints. Yeah, but these birds seem like they're pretty, they're pretty hardy individuals. Oh yeah, they but, can they can handle cold, but when the snow comes, that's when it becomes very difficult for them because they can't get to the food that's underneath the snow. Mm. So they, you know, they're definitely getting pushed down by cold weather. But the snow is really what dictates how far south they're going to move each year. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you look at it, there's like a horizontal line yep. of of latitude that is kind of where the snow is just kind of creeping mm-hmm. down from yep. north to south. If exactly. you think about it in like this yep. whole continental view. Yep. And then it just, it birds try to stay ahead of that, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They're just constantly getting pushed down. And depending on the weather year after year is how far south certain birds are going to go. I mean, your your smaller ducks, teal, they're going to probably push down south regardless um, just because they're smaller. They can't take the cold as well as some of the bigger ducks. They have a harder time finding food. Is that it? Uh, I mean, they're just small, you mm. know. Um I mean, if you, you don't have much meat on your bones, you know, you're going to get cold a lot easier. Mm. Um, so they, they, they definitely push down a lot farther, but you know, mallards, your bigger puddle ducks, geese, they're, they're hardy enough to handle cold temperatures. But once the snow comes, I mean, it doesn't matter how, you know, well they can stay warm, they can't eat. Mm. And also, you know, with snow comes frozen water then they don't have a place to roost mm. and to feel safe. I mean, a, gotcha. a, duck, a duck and a goose is obviously going to feel the safest on the water because it's their habitat. It's a their... lot of predators can't get to them. Right. So, so do these, I've always heard that these birds can like go back to the same place. Yeah. And I remember when I lived in my neighborhood growing up, we always had Canada geese that stopped by and I always wondered if it was the same ones. Yeah. Uh, do they know where they're going and where yeah. they came from? Yeah, How? Yeah. That, I am not qualified enough to even understand that other than I know that it happens. They, so they, they kind of imprint when they're born of their nesting ground. Hmm. Now, between nesting ground and wherever they end up may have some variations, but they're always going to come back to that nesting ground. It's crazy. Like the the homing capabilities of them. Yeah. And there's a lot of theories about how birds travel, navigate. Um, A lot of people think it's, you know, the North and South poles, like 
pulling they, at them. Yeah, they're they're using they know their relationship magnetism. You know, yeah, that's kind of like their GPS. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just built into them. They know they know to go south and they know when to go north. I heard somebody tell me that they lost their dog in Detroit, and like on the wrong side of town they looked for it for like a day and then they got home and then like two days later their dog had made their way like 12 or 15 miles back to their house i don't doubt it it's amazing and well that bear in arkansas do you remember that story yeah and i mean you a lot of that is just by smell really i mean you think i don't remember where i heard this probably another podcast but you know, like you, you, we smell a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. We know what a cheeseburger smells like, but a dog smells the ketchup. It smells the beef. It smells the cheese. It smells, you know, whatever. And then you think about a bear smells 10, 50 times better than a bloodhound. Really? I, I mean, didn't know that. Yeah. Like polar bears, they can, they can smell a seal, I think like 20 miles away. Really? Yeah. So. It's it, it it's always amazing to me. That's what I love about wildlife is learning things that like I I feel like general public, you know, kind of passes over. It's like like you said, like it's fascinating to me that these birds can go, you know, thousands of miles and then go right back to the same place. Dude, I'll go to a hotel in a different city with somebody <laughs> and we'll go to the same place five days in a row to shoot. Yeah. And they're still using their GPS after yeah. Yeah. on the fifth day. Yeah. We're dependent on that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So how did you ultimately decide that you, cause you've been hunting your whole life, right? I have. Yeah. So how did you uh, ultimately decide that you wanted to merge the two passions? I mean, you've been a cinematographer for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years professionally. Right. Yeah. And then, now you've you've kind of put the, the the best of both worlds together. How were you able to do that, or how'd you even identify that you well, wanted to do? I that? I can't say that I can't take too much credit for it. To be honest, um, I think it was just one of those things that you know an opportunity that fell into my lap. Um, you know, you and I used to work at Pop Fizz together, yep. and um, you know, my wife and I having twins, she got a amazing promotion at work and I quickly realized that like I needed to kind of take a little bit of a backseat career wise and Mm. support the household the way that I best could yeah so you just slowed down a little bit yeah we're able to do the freelance thing a little more yeah so that that was the conversation that she and I had was like hey you know I think me taking a backseat like quitting this full-time job and like just taking jobs when I can when we're not busy would be great. And we both agreed. And then um, I got an opportunity with Artera, which I've been a huge fan of um, Nick Sheridan, Jake Terry for, I mean, I would look at their Instagram constantly and like, you know, be a little jealous yeah. obviously they're about, shooting like, this stuff i want to shoot yeah exactly <laughs> and so i got the opportunity i knew nick was in knoxville but we had never connected and before too long i mean i wasn't in the freelance world but you know maybe a month and i had to come back to caitlin my wife and i was like hey here I, here's this opportunity and she i mean she's incredible completely supportive and she's like you have to do this you know yeah and that's great i haven't haven't looked back since yeah is i mean i guess i've heard that we're not like you said that a lot of the stuff you shoot is migratory birds and and waterfowl and i've heard that 
like for as many people who are fascinated with hunting around East Tennessee, I, I've heard that we're not exactly in the best flyways. No, for we're not. Du- for we're not in hunt. a flyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I assume that travel is now a big part of what you do. So that 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 was probably the biggest part of the conversation that Caitlin and I had to have was like, Hey, this is going to, you know, this is going to be a lot of travel, but the great thing about it is it's one part of the year. You know, you're not Mm. hunting the whole year. It's just in the fall. It's going to be crazy. So we've worked it out to where, you know, she obviously travels for work too, Ah. but she can kind of dictate when that travel is. So she kind of stacks her travel in the spring and summer and then gets ready for me to start traveling in the fall. But, (laughs) but there's always, there's, I mean, there's always a trip. You and I, I mean, here it is spring and we're about to go to Canada for five days. (laughs) Yeah. Why is that? Why are we, why are we going to Canada in the spring if the hot, if the hot time of year is in the fall for hunting so um snow geese uh that that's what we're going up to film is a snow goose hunt um and snow geese have their population has exploded over the f- past few years why um covid yeah <laughs> <laughs> all the hunters were stuck Maybe. at home <laughs> yeah yeah i i've never really got a clear answer on that i mean there's lots of theories out there i mean one they're extremely hard to hunt really because you know they're you know you you know you always see ducks and geese kind of flying together Mm. snow geese have gotten to such a population that it is not uncommon to see fifty thousand of them in a field together really so if you're a hunter you're using decoys that look like snow geese and if you're in a field and you've got a hundred decoys out and these snow geese see another field with 50,000 you geese know actual it. geese in it they're going to go to that field so mm. a lot of guys are putting out 1,000 2,000 3,000 decoys <laughs> just to uh, you know just to get geese to come to their spread so it's i mean it's really taxing i mean it's a it's a hard thing to hunt because the numbers have proliferated so high yeah it makes it harder to it emulate them congregating yeah, together. Exactly. And I mean there you know, you can be where they want to be and they can come and you can get one volley of birds and then they're just gonna go to the next field. So it's they're I don't they're they're hard they're they're a really hard bird to hunt. So that that aspect has not kept the population in check. And also on the tundra where they, you know, that's their summering grounds and their breeding grounds. I don't think there's probably too many predators up there and Mm. their population has just exploded to the point. So in the fall, there's a limit on them, but a lot of areas in the country in the spring has a, uh, what they call a conservation season. And because there's not a lot of people that hunt them, they, you know, the bag limits can be 20 to 50 to, you know, it's a lot per day, but it sounds like a lot, but actually reaching that number is like maybe once a year you're able to do that. Really? Yeah. So even if there's fifty thousand geese flying into a field, yeah, yeah. Do you kind of have one shot at it and then they all scatter? Yeah, you do. I mean, you got to be where they want to be, and if they, you know, you get groups that keep coming back, you can have a, you know, pretty good, pretty good run of it. But I mean, with any migratory bird, they're not going to stay in one place for very long. Mm. So you know, you can be on a, you know, a field 
one day not see a single duck. They got a little bit of cold weather up north, and the next day there's a hundred thousand ducks or wow. geese, you know, in that field. Wow. So, is is it all? So you call it conservation? Is that conservation season is really is is that weeding out the high numbers? Yeah, that's so. That, why that's is that an, conservation? <laughs> Conserving the land? Yeah, because I mean they're because they're invasive. Yeah, their breeding ground in the tundra. I mean is getting destroyed ah that's what you're conserving is the is, yeah is there is there i mean they're habitat ultimately destroying their themselves because mm. they're eating up all of their resources and with any wildlife you know or you know humans whatever you get a big congregation of people like covid you know and you have some kind of disease that gets into that group mm. it's going to decimate a population because there's so many of them together right so you know that and that's something that i love about the hunting community that i don't think gets enough praise is how much hunters think about preserving the wildlife that we have you know i think a lot of people that don't hunt look at it as like you're just out there shooting and killing but the people who are you know on the ground hunting they're raising food for these animals and they're they're really caring about them mm. um and they're they're putting a lot of money to make sure that those populations stay around so when you you, you think of TWRA and DNR and all these guys mm-hmm. is the people who give you tickets when you're out boating in the summer. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't realize is how much work goes into yeah. managing these, managing these uh, WMAs, wildlife management areas, yeah. you know, keep, you know, conservation of streams and things like that. Yep. They do a lot of work that, you know, we kind of take for granted in the general public yeah. uh, that, you know, oh, there's, you know, there's trout in this river just because it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> They're there because someone took the time to yeah, you know, put them there. Exactly. An organization took the time to yeah. to make sure that this stream had enough health, you know, to uh, to support, yeah. you know, a non-native species. Yeah. And then once they got it to a place they wanted, then they were able to stock that species and they proliferate and mm-hmm. naturally, re, you know, reproduce, have babies in those streams and they can survive and all that. Yeah. And I assume the same, uh, the, the same efforts probably on a larger scale happens with land in the Midwest that people use for hunting and farmland and all that. I bet it's hard to keep these biomes up and to keep them, uh, keep them in good enough shape to where, to where birds want to come hang. Yeah. Is it? Oh, it's, I mean, it's a 365 day a year job. Really? A lot of the places that we've went, you know, they're raising crops just to feed Ducks and geese, not people, not people, <laughs> and I mean, and and all wildlife, yeah, you know, deer, turkey, whatever is in that area, um, and then spending, you know, a lot of time flooding fields that they've um, that they've grown to, you know, give ducks habitat, and you know, we when we travel to places with people who have large operations like that kind of the running joke is like I'm feeding 90% of the ducks that come through here. Like we may harvest 10% that come through here, but 90% of them because of bag limits, 
they're coming here and they're eating and they have enough fuel to get to as the, far south as they need to go mm-hmm. and and to get back up north. And so that's where I feel like hunters don't get enough recognition of like they're doing a lot for wildlife. Mm. Because, you know, with farming being, you know, in America, not as, you know, it's it's just not as big of a thing as it once was. These ducks and geese, you know, the areas that they're flying over, like, I mean, I'm sure you've been, have you been to Kansas and like Nebraska? Like, if you don't grow something there, it's dirt. Right. (laughs) You know? And so these areas that they're flying over, it's nice for them to have a spot that they can just sit and chill, eat and you know regain some of that strength and yes some of those birds are harvested but the well more than the majority fly out of there completely healthy and go back up north and make more ducks yeah do you, does are all the things that people hunt are they all uh birds that people would eat at their house too yeah. okay yeah. oh yeah absolutely cool. So yeah. it's not just killing for killing's sake, no, right? They're feeding no, their families. No, we, I, I have been very fortunate throughout the year to eat like every single thing that we've harvested, and it's it's all amazing. I mean, that's a, I mean, you want to go to Whole Foods or Fresh Market and get organic meat that's like as organic as yeah. it gets. Yeah, you it's know? been yeah, it's been eating organic soybeans and yeah, you know, yeah, you know, Nebraska for a year. Yeah. Uh, have you gotten pretty good at like preparing different uh, different birds to uh, waterfowl? Oh or, yeah, or, like, yeah, yeah. No, I've. I, what do you do? What do you <clears throat> what do you make a duck out of? Like, what do you make? Uh, what dish would you use a duck or a goose? I mean, my favorite thing to cook is a mallard. Really, absolutely love mallards. Are those the ones that you see guys in Middle Tennessee with the bed of their truck down and? 30 birds laying around yeah, them. They're, they're the ones with the green heads. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the duck head shorts or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but they, you know, with them eating all of those good grains and all the good food along the way, they get a pretty good layer of fat on them. And um, I mean, everybody loves, you know, duck fat fries, stuff like oh, that. Yeah. So um, yeah, just leaving skin on with, you know, that breast meat and putting it in a cast iron and searing that, letting some of that duck fat render out and then put it in the oven until it gets to temp. I mean, it's better than a filet. I mean, really? it's fantastic. Yeah. What, so what is, what? what's better about duck than what, how does duck taste different from chicken? It's more tender. Yeah, oh, it's way more flavorful. Okay. Like now eating as much wild game as I do, like chicken is, I mean, it's like eating a rice cake almost, yeah. you know, there's just, I mean, unless you add a lot to it, yeah. there's not a lot of depth of flavor. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people go into like eating deer or elk and they expect beef, you know, it's mm. almost like, you know, eating real cheese and then eating vegan cheese and expecting it to taste the same, yeah. you know, like it's, it's different. In a good way, I think it's in a good way. I don't um, know that I've ever had elk before. Elk's fantastic. Is I mean, it the that's, best? that's yeah, yeah, that's the best that you can get in North America. I feel like really, yeah. Speaking of preparing food, how's your uh, brisket doing over there? You got? <laughs> I, let me see. I'm gonna pull out the app real quick. What'd you do? You threw a brisket on your Traeger this I, morning I, before I, you I, left. I put one on uh, at about eleven last night. <laughs> 
And then um, because I'm getting older, I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I don't know if you've experienced that yet, but I woke up about four in the morning and checked and it was about 10 degrees hotter than I wanted it to be before I wrapped it. So I'm fumbling out of bed at four this morning and like going out and wrapping a brisket, you know, but we're doing good. We're, we're sitting at 177 right now. So how, how, how high do you want it to be? Uh, Typically like 200 to 205, something like that. Is where you want your brisket to be when you pull it out. And And they're all dependent, like, because you want to, you want to put the instant read thermometer in and it, it feels like you're just, you know, going into some like warm butter. Oh yeah. That's crazy that you just bust out your phone to see what your, what your smoker's sitting at at the house. Yeah. The trigger, it ruins you. (laughs) Does it? I'll never have anything else. Really? Yeah. Can you grill on those things too? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Make it up to 500 degrees. Okay. I made a flank steak last night actually on it to do carne asada tacos. I might get one. Fantastic. Could you replace a grill with one? Uh Is it a grill plus a smoker? Absolutely. I've seen, I've I've seen, I've heard people do both but i've not really yeah. gotten a really good uh review. i you know a lot the biggest complaint i hear out of people with the traeger is you can't get the grill marks i mean 500 degrees is still hot but it's still indirect heat oh really yeah it's more like a convection oven almost yeah. because you've got um you got a plate separating the fire from the you know the grill which i don't care that doesn't bother me if i'm gonna cook a steak i'm probably gonna cook it on in a cast iron yeah. anyway um that's just i don't know i feel like i get way better results that way but i got it uh probably about two weeks ago and i think there's only been like two or three days that i haven't used it i mean mm. i make garlic bread on it really <laughs> yeah it's like the big green egg thing where you hear people making cakes in them and- yeah no you can i mean that it is essentially a convection oven that uses wood Smoke. fire yeah. you know yeah so yeah they're fantastic. I've got that Blackstone, yeah. that, that griddle, that yeah. flat top. I know. I'm I use that jealous. two or three nights a week. Yeah. I got a grill and I've got that. I feel like yeah, I don't need anything else, but I do need a smoker. Yeah. 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 Do you, uh, can you, do you ever use uh, the, the Traeger to make any of your duck stuff or? I haven't done duck just because I just got it. And do I people kinda, smoke I, duck? I, yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah, you can. Um, any, you know, smoking wild games tough because there's you know they are very active animals there's not a lot of fat on them so they're muscular and and you yeah. need fat when you smoke yep. stuff to get in there exactly to gotcha. keep it you know to keep it from drying out but i actually um was fortunate enough uh, about a week and a half ago to get my second turkey of the year and i smoked a turkey breast on the traeger that i had brined for like 24 hours and it was fantastic man so a turkey season is when? Are there two turkey seasons? Most states, there's a fall season, but it's that one's not very popular. So spring, um, you know, in Tennessee, it starts the first weekend of April, um, and that's when their breeding season is. Mm. They're very vocal, communicative animals. Um, so that that's when, you know, the fun time is to hunt them. Are there too many turkeys out there? Is that why people mm-hmm. hunt them, or is it just for food? Yeah, just for food. There's not, I mean, their population ebbs and flows, um, Mm. much like ducks. um, That's very much predator dependent um, and not when they're full grown. Um, Nest predation is a huge issue. What's that? um, So you've got raccoons, coyotes, possums, skunks. They all eat duck, turkey, eggs. And um, so they 
you, you know, you've got a really bad problem of like these turkeys not being able to raise young because the eggs never even hatch. Man. Um, and we have more of those type predators in America right now than we've ever had because no one's trapping anymore mm. and they have tons of habitat. So it's, you know, and that was actually one project that we did this year with Delta waterfowl was a series called the duck connection. Um, and Delta waterfowl doesn't, fabulous job of like being a duck hunters organization where they want to provide the best nesting grounds for these ducks and geese so that hunters have successful seasons and what they're realizing in North Dakota, Canada, you know, most ducks are in the prairie pothole region, which is like North Dakota area, a little North of that. That's their nesting grounds. And the nest predation is like it's terrible because North Dakota just recently, I would say within the past 10 years, actually, there weren't raccoons up there and now there are raccoons because there's food for them. Well, I'm, I mean, it's just you know, populations are spreading out, and you know, sometimes people, you know, bring a raccoon there and then all of a sudden it's you know. You got a raccoon population, but they, so what Delta Waterfowl does is they will um, examine a certain square area of a nesting ground and they hire people to come in and trap. And they Mm. have, I can't remember the exact statistic, but for areas, nesting grounds that are not being trapped, there's about two to 3% nest success. So wow, that's not a lot at all. No. So I mean if you have a hundred eggs. Areas that are not being trapped. Yeah, that's is, not being trapped. Areas, so without the help of humans, yeah. They have a hard time. And the areas that are being trapped have like thirty and forty percent net success. Okay, so it's not perfect, but with trappers getting rid of their their uh natural predators, yep. it goes a long way. It goes a really long way. They're which 10 is ten times the success rate. Yeah. And that that's where I feel like a lot of people get this kind of a bit of a wrong idea of like hunters are impacting populations. Hunters are not impacting populations. It's things like that. I mean, it's like it's a two to 3% nest success. That's terrible. Right. You know, I mean, how are you going to have a growing population if, you know, you're not having babies? And that was something that we noticed this waterfowl season, you know, we have, Typically, juvenile ducks are the ones that are going to be the most um, prone to come into decoys. Oh, really? Because they haven't seen that before. Ah. The older birds, you know, they've seen it. They've been a few. I mean, ducks can live for actually a pretty long time. Really? And so that was something that we noticed this year was there's just not a lot of juvenile ducks. And Mm. because of COVID, they haven't been able to do duck counts between Canada and the U S and I, I is that tagging and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot like what Delta waterfowl does, you know, they'll go to a specific area and do actual duck counts. They'll count how many ducks are sitting on a body of water. Mm. Um, and you know, look at that data year after year and, you know, kind of see where the population's at. So trapping, you said that that used to be a thing that people did. Mm -hmm. Did they do it? Is it just another way to hunt kind of a way to provide? Um, 
Well, that's that kind of a dying is, art. I will say that is predominantly dictated by the fur market. Really? Yep. Um, okay. What? So that's like uh, for for clothing, for yep. textiles, really? Yep. Um, and you know, with beaver. I mean, ever beaver caster is used in perfumes. It's used in, I mean, a ton of different things. So beaver trapping, I think, probably still has a little bit of some, you know, you can make a little bit of money, but the, the fur prices for raccoons, coyotes, bobcats, you know, all of those things has went significantly down. I mean, there is no, you, you, at one point you could make a living being a fur trapper. Now you pay to have the hobby of fur trapping really yeah so it's a it's kind of a the market just drove it to the ground the or the mar the market went down yeah fur is no longer valuable anywhere yeah why because of synthetic or I, hard sure, to say I, yeah i'm sure there's a lot of reasons i mean definitely i i mean you remember growing up fur was you know the look of luxury and now i feel like so you're telling me it's PETA that's done this <laughs> They've thrown enough red paint on people. You said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, you know, it's gotten to the point that the federal government is having to step in and spend tax dollars, like taxpayer dollars, to control populations. So, you know, you've got... Of what? What do you mean? Uh, to control populations of, of what? Of predators. Okay, gotcha. So, you know, you look at... Yes, people who are against fur, and I, I don't care. That right. doesn't impact me. I don't, you know, I'm very open to everyone's opinion. Sure. But you've driven out a market, and now because of that, you have a growing predator population and you have decreasing populations in other areas. Mm. So it, it's, I mean, there's no like right answer for anything, but. When you impact one thing, it impacts a hundred other things. Yeah, there's consequences. There are. There are definitely consequences. I, I hadn't thought about that. And I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of knew that waterfowl populations. I, I knew that it was harder for them to stay alive. I, I've heard that before. Yeah. I did not think about it being because fur fell out of favor. Yeah. <laughs> and now commercial trappers that used to make a living mm -hmm. you know trapping their trapping ducks predators yeah. and able to sell their fur yeah. or in order to sell their fur had had such a an impact on it that's outrageous yeah but you think about it it makes sense i mean yeah. there's there's got to be a there's got to be a, you know something happens in that vacuum like there's something yeah. else that refills that you know that that area when it goes away yeah i mean we coming into america Obviously, humans have such an impact on the land, and wildlife populations have to be managed, one way or the other. You Either know, by their own predators, or or you know, by people yeah. that are doing it correctly, the smart way. I mean, you know, California outlawed mountain lion hunting because no one wanted to see anyone hunt a mountain lion. What a lot of people don't know, the federal government hires people or they use their own people and taxpayer dollars to take out mountain lions every year that could have went to a hunter who actually, and mountain lion is fantastic. I said elk was the best. Mountain lion's a close second, if maybe not better than elk. I did not know that you could eat mountain lion. It's incredible. It's one of the best cat, things. Cat I've, meat? Yeah. I mean, it's 
amazing. Really? It's like, you know, the most flavorful pork you've ever had. It's amazing. Mountain Lion but, and Bobcat are the same thing? Is that right? Or are they different? They're different. Oh, okay. I don't know from a uh, biological standpoint how they, I know one's smaller. Okay. <laughs> one's bigger. But they're similar kind of? Yeah. I mean, okay. they're both cats. But, and you know, that's the thing. So people don't want to see these big cats being hunted, but- they're still being hunted because they have to be managed. Because, Why do they have to be managed? Because you, because people in California don't want them showing up in their backyard. <laughs> and eating and their they children. Have, they ha- yeah, and they have a big range. I mean, one cat can have a two-mile range where another cat's not going to live in that area. So a you know mountain lion has some kits, and those grow up, and they're going to find another area to go, which could be your backyard where your dog's at. Right. And so these populations have to be managed for, you know, people to, you know, they want to be, they want to be close to wildlife until it's on their property. <laughs> NIMBY, man, not in my backyard, you yeah, know? Yeah. That's the but, George Carlin thing. But that, that, that's the part that's, you know, been kind of tough for me is, you know, trying to understand, like, like you said, I mean, one positive for one person is a huge negative for another person you know it seems silly though for us to outlaw something and that people were already doing yeah like hunting mountain lions yeah and then having to put effort in from you know the same people who outlawed it are now having to go and manage this thing that was already fine yeah it was happening before but yeah. Karen got pissed and now, you know, had to yeah. do something about it. Yep. And now you're, like you said, spending money to do it. It, it seems like you, if you, you, if you use your pragmatic hat, that sounds really silly. Yeah. To do something. Yeah. Like I, I mean, like I said, I, I don't knock anyone's opinion on anything. And I'm very open minded person that likes to talk to people. And like, I've never been the one that's like, you're wrong. And here's the reasons why. I mean, I may have those statistics to tell them why they're wrong, but I mean, hunting isn't for everyone. And I, you know, when I was younger, for sure, I was like, why does no one get this? But there's a lot of people that don't enjoy that part of, you know, like, yeah, they're okay eating a hamburger or a piece of chicken, but no, they don't want to see how the sausage is made. Sure. You know, and I think that it's a big responsibility on people that hunt to, you know, be in close contact with those people, DNR, TWRA, you know, whatever state agency there is to make sure that these populations are being managed in a way that they're not out of control, but they're thriving. And that's what everybody I feel like in the hunting community wants is wildlife for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that be, you want to just go somewhere and look at wildlife. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, you want to take photos of some deer? Great. Yeah. You know, but I think, you know, people have this idea that hunters go into the woods and they just decimate populations and they don't care and they shoot something and just leave it. I I don't see that being where I'm at. Um, I see people that actually care and want to help populations grow through proper management, mm. working with wildlife biologists. Everybody wants to go to Cades Cove and take a picture of deer, yeah. but nobody wants to run over one on North Shore Drive no. or have them jump through yeah. their windshield. And that's why I've I had ha- two deer on North Shore this year. Have you really? Yeah. And is that why deer hunting is legal around here? I mean, it. Other outside of WMAs, wildlife management areas, is that why 
I mean, can't you hunt bow hunt deer on property as long as you're so far away from a house or? Yeah, I, well, not in the city. County, okay. you can. Um, and there's different regulations for different things. I mean, like duck hunting, you can hunt on on the lakes on all TVA property, which they own. I can't remember how much of the bank. Um, you know, your dock isn't really your dock. It's TVA's dock. It's TVA's dock. Um, but you just have to be, I think it's 50 yards or 100 yards from a house, you know? Okay. So you can, you know, definitely get into more. But I, you know, I know pe- plenty of people that hunt properties off of North Shore, like Duncan Boat Dock area stuff yeah. where there's still farms. Yeah. Um, it's and, legal to hunt your own property too, right? As long yeah. as you're doing it safely. And, and in season. In season. Yep. Okay. Has really? to be in season. So if a deer walks on your property uh, in the out of season and you kill it, you're in you're, you're in trouble? Yeah, you're in trouble. For hmm. sure. Yep. Okay. Yep. Can't do that. I mean, if it's on your property, man. Yeah. Nope. Can't but if it were it. an intruder, but see, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that that you know that comes right back to the uh, you know yes, if you own property, it would be easy to provide your family with meat all year round by being able to you know harvest that animal. But you know, with deer, you want them to thrive, sure. and you want them to repopulate. So in the spring, when they're having their little ones, like that's not a time. To be hunting deer, yeah, it's bad. It's bad for the population to yep. do it out of yep. season. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good. Like I think the rules, is, and I know them around fishing, really. Yeah, you know, I don't know them around hunting and other uh, parts of the, of, uh, the wildlife management sectors, but uh, I think that the rule, if you follow the rules, you're going to be all right. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, and the rules are there for, and they thought about them. They yeah, didn't make them yeah. for no reason. Yeah, they didn't exactly. make them to punish you. Yeah. And, and no matter if you have a problem with it or not, there's good reason behind it. I mean, if you take the time, I mean, biologists are very busy people in the wildlife world, but if you take the time to sit down and like think through their reasoning of why they're doing things, like a lot of times, like it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's bigger than you. Yeah. You know, when you want to complain, you just have to think like, whatever is going on is bigger than me and i need to trust that whatever they're putting in place is for the right sure. reasons where so where around here i i hear about people hunting turkey and deer mm-hmm. and i think that's about it are there are there other no other there's things? quite the uh, i mean you can duck hunt goose hunt squirrel hunt rabbit um there's no quail anymore unfortunately um there's grouse in the mountains. Bear hunting um, is pretty popular. Man, I was up at a, I was up at Paint Creek mm-hmm. like probably two years ago. Yeah, and this guy was driving around in his truck, and I was out there by myself. I probably shouldn't have been. It was, it's, it's, yeah, it's a holler back there. <laughs> yeah. But this guy kept driving by in his truck with his dogs in the back of it, mm-hmm. and he had hunting dogs. He was like, "You ain't seen a bloodhound." I'm like, "No, I haven't. I've been here a couple hours. I haven't seen." It. He's like, "Yeah." Well, he done run a bear over from North Carolina, and he's somewhere over here. I yeah. just can't find him. I'm like, yeah. "What?" Yeah. People are hunting bears in Cherokee National Forest. Yeah, yeah. You can national forest. You can hunt during season. It's national parks. You can't. Right. But, and that national, know. it's like, yeah, national forests, people think they're all the same. National forests and national parks. Very different. National forests really don't care what you do as long yeah. as you're- I mean, you that, know, that's your land. Right. That, yeah. That's the public's Pub- land. Public landowner. Yep. Absolutely. Na- national park, go try to have a fire, you know, yeah, you somewhere. Can't, no. Can't, can't have a fire can't anywhere. Yep. Can't drink. Can't uh, can't drink alcohol. Can't, uh, 
have a, a dog. Yeah, you can't have a dog in the national park. Yeah, even national, though you see them all the time. Yeah. National forest, it's like, hey, as long as you're 50 feet off a trail, yeah. you can camp there. Yep. And you can have a fire there. And you can hunt. And you can hunt there. Yep. It's public landowner, baby. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Speaking of migration, have you heard of this like uh, anteater uh, aardvark population? Like, no. No, it's, no, it's, is that right? Or is it armadillos? I think it's well, armadillos. Armadillos, yeah. for sure. That's They've, what it is. Yeah. Not yeah. aardvarks, it's armadillos. Yeah. Uh, that are following like fire ant populations. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. So, like, it, they're coming into Middle Tennessee. They're, I yeah. think they're up on the plateau now. I just drove to Nashville a week and a half ago and saw an armadillo that got hit by a car on you the side of the road. You think about them being in Texas, right? Yeah. These super yeah. hot areas. Yeah. But they're like, I think from what I hear, I've heard a few different people talk about it that you're going to see them. Yeah. In East Tennessee. I've definitely noticed fire ants becoming more and more prevalent in yeah. the area. I mean, I go out in the woods and sit on the ground a lot. <laughs> With a camera in my hand. <laughs> and yeah, there's been quite a few times I've, you know, had to avoid some fire ant hills that I don't remember as a kid having to avoid those as much. Yeah. It, and that's the same thing that we talked about with uh, for every action that you take there's 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 something else that goes along with it and it's like yeah. because these fire ant populations are moving now their predators mm-hmm. are following them yep. and moving with them and we have this whole animal yeah. living here that we've never had before that we've never I had mean, maybe at some point we did but you right. know i mean in our lifetime no right but now they're native yeah here. <laughs> now, now it's just a thing that maybe this new state animal in tennessee <laughs> <laughs> I always think about it as like a lonely Texas tumbleweed highway that armadillos are on. Yeah, you see over I know. And, over. and now, yeah, now they're now we're getting there. Yeah, it's so. Uh, you said you got two turkeys this year. Can you kill as many turkeys in a year as you want? No, you're no. allowed in Tennessee. You're allowed three. A do you season. have to report them? Yes, you okay. do. And TWRA has made it very easy. And most state agencies are going to this system where you have an app that you, I mean, at the time that you harvest that animal, you can check it in. Um, you know, when you say harvest it, you, you mean dress it and get, get everything. Harvest is the, you know, the correct way of saying I, I shot it and <laughs> killed it. I ended its life, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, you right there. Pull open the app. As long as you have service, you can check that animal in with TWRA. They ask you, you know, how big it was, estimated age, where you shot it, all the info that they can put into a system and look at year after year and kind of get an idea of, you know, what the population's doing. Gotcha. Which is a huge help for them. I mean, you know, as well as I do in the fishing world, Game wardens, like, you see them at pretty inopportune times, but there's not many of them. Most right. counties have one game warden serving an entire county. Right. And it's, you know, between tickets and making sure people are safe, it's hard to do that boots on the ground work. Yeah. And hunters are able to do that. And, you know, like out west, you always got a paper tag and you had to attach that paper tag to the animal as soon as you harvested it you fill out this information that way if you know you get stopped by a state agency they can look at it they can you know make sure that it's legitimate yeah and now they're going to the same app based program 
And when you, you have to check it in the second you, you know, harvest that animal and they can look exactly where you are at. And it's, you know, people are very skeptical about that because, because of privacy. Yeah. Privacy issues. But I look at it as like, we just gave them a map of where most of whatever animal is harvested, which is invaluable data for them. Right. You're filling a database yeah. with information that they would have spent tons of money yep. to go out and oh, gather yeah. themselves. Absolutely. Somebody would have spent a lot of money to w- do it. The American people. Yeah. Through taxpayer dollars. Yeah. It's 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 brilliant. Yeah. To to aggregate all this information, get it all in one place yep. in real time. Yeah. So I, I bet if you haven't checked that animal in and you get pulled over in your truck on the way out of the WMA, you get in trouble? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Well- Or you have to be on your way to a ranger station or something like that. I mean, the the days of having a checking check-in station are pretty few and far between just because everyone does it through the app. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, you would- harvest a deer or a turkey whatever and you would go to like your local gas station and they would have a check-in station there really? where the gas station attendant would fill out all the paperwork and every so once every once in a while twra would come by and collect all of those papers wow um but now doing the app like that i mean that's all you have to do um the twra app is awesome by yeah, the way and i just great. use it for fishing license and stuff like yeah. that but they've really built it's that fantastic. thing out and they're a great organization. Yeah. We did some work with them back in the, uh, what, the mid-20-teens, something yeah. like that. Yeah. The TV show, Tennessee Uncharted, that we talked about. Yep. Eric Baker was the host of it. Yep. I got to know a lot of game wardens doing that. And yeah. a lot of the uh, agents uh, that work with- A lot uh, of really good people. Yeah. Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency. And it's like, they are, people always think of them as the cop. Yeah. The bad guy. Yeah. Uh, the guy that's going to get him in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know why those people have those jobs, though, is because they care yeah. about conservation. Absolutely. They like to do the same things that you and I like to do, which is get outside, enjoy themselves, yep. take care of nature. Yep. Those are people that I want to hang out with. Yep. You know, they're not there to uh, they're not there to bust you. No, <laughs> you they're know, not. they're trying. They're, they're, trying. They're, they're there to keep people safe. Exactly. Do you remember when we did that jet ski trip yeah. from? Yeah, whatever. The Tennessee 600 is what it was. Yeah, it's a, it's like, a group jet ski ride that they ride the entire Tennessee River on yeah, jet skis. Yeah. And you and I went down to the Chickamauga. Yeah, we were at Chickamauga. Yeah, we were at Chickamauga. Yeah. And we got on a TWRA cabin cruiser that they had seized from somebody. They, you know, found drug running through yeah. the Tennessee River. Yeah. There was a, uh, like a Sea Ray cabin cruiser. Yeah. You and I were on it yeah. with cameras. Yeah. And we spent an entire day. Just I hanging mean, out with those guys. Yeah, we drove how many miles of oh, of river? We went from Chickamauga all the way through Fort Loudon to, to the river. Ned, Ned McWhorter Park. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much to the confluence of the Tennessee and the Holston yep. River. Yeah. Uh, and we that was a long day spent with two TWRA agents. I had a lot mm-hmm. of good conversations with them. Absolutely. And they were good dudes. And we talked, I mean, because I grew up on Fort Loudon and spending a lot of time out there, the more I got to talk to them, they were just like, the last thing we, the reason that we pull people over and check them for safety is because I don't want to show up at a, I don't want to show up at a scene yeah, a, a, yeah. where they crashed their boat, ran into ground, yeah. you know, somebody fell off, whatever. Like it's not to, it's not to play, you know, sheriff. Yep. It's to, it's to mitigate danger Yep. and, you know, 
I, I appreciated hearing that come from those guys um, because I, I've all, I had always looked at, at them growing up as like the guys who just wanted to give you a ticket for not having a fire extinguisher or yeah. on your boat. Yeah, or they're whatever. just looking for something, but right. they're, they're not. No, I, they're, they, they don't want you to die out there. Yeah, they want you to stay safe. And, you know, and I, people that I've talked to in like the hunting world, like if you have, like if you, have a disdain for wildlife agents i'm like well you're probably doing something wrong yeah you're probably (laughs) poaching yeah you know because i mean we got stopped quite a few times waterfowl hunting by you know state agencies or federal agents and they're like hey guys we just want to check your guns check your licenses if birds are coming in i'll duck down you guys can get back to it you know like they're yeah. they're so cool yeah and you know one one of the guys that we were hunting with didn't have every state has different licenses that you have to purchase which is it, it becomes very complicated and they understand that one guy didn't have a certain stamp stamp <laughs> license that he needed yeah. and the guy you know he was so cool he's like man it's totally fine i understand it's complicated just come back to my truck we'll get it purchased real quick and like i'll get you back to hunting you know it wasn't like oh caught ya. yeah yep you're in trouble now here's yeah. this huge ticket it's yeah. like no i just you know hey i understand like you've taken the time to buy everything you need except for this i know it's complicated let's just fix that real quick yeah that's great but there's also that uh, like fighting poaching world yeah. that they have to do because that's a real thing, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, didn't really you film thing. with some poachers one time? Didn't you go shoot, like, try to catch people poaching or yeah, something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So what's that all about? Why are they, what are they doing? Are they trying to kill deer out of season? Or they? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's people that spotlight them at night. I mean, you, if you see a deer on the highway at night and it looks in the headlights, it doesn't move. I mean, they kind of do the same thing with anything. It's, you know, it's unnatural to them. They don't really know what to do. Yeah. And so a lot of guys drive around at night and I mean, it's just that it's, it's unethical. And those people, I mean, it doesn't matter if it was poaching, whatever. Like, I just feel like those people are just, you know, in the words of my father-in-law, bad hombre. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You know? And yeah. So what, uh, those are the guys that, TWRA will put the screws to. Yeah, right? and, and as they should. I mean, yeah. TWRA at the beginning of turkey season posted a video um, that kind of circulated of two turkeys strutting, which is what the males, male turkeys do in the spring in someone's front yard. Someone, I guess they had like a ring camera or some kind of camera yeah. looking over their front yard. And these turkeys were like in a play set, like a kid's play set hanging out in this front yard and a truck pulls up, sticks a shotgun out the window and shoots one of the turkeys, runs down, grabs it, leaves. In somebody's yard? In someone's yard. You're shooting towards their house into a kid's play area. You don't know if a kid's around there. Like that person needs to be, like the consequences need to be severe and they need to do everything that they can to make sure that that person doesn't continue doing stuff like that. That's where TWRA, like we coming back to them keeping people safe yeah that's a person who's dangerous to other people right you know and yeah maybe they did i mean hopefully they had no intentions of shooting someone but it would have been very easy in that situation to shoot someone accidentally so don't don't game wardens have like a disproportionate amount of power or like a crazy amount of power. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I was always told that they were like second highest in like power because of 
federal things like, you know, federal agents for waterfowl certainly have a lot of rights, but these agencies, because they're dealing with guns and because they're dealing with a state managed resource, which is wildlife, they can come into your house under certain circumstances without a warrant. Um, wow. And, but, but, you know, it sounds like infringement, but like, it's not like TWRA is going around just breaking down doors. Right. It's when it's necessary for good reason, because I mean, a lot of time, like anytime you're dealing with hunting, you're probably dealing with a firearm, you know? Right. You know, a police officer has an extremely difficult job and, you know, I don't know what the statistic would be. Every interaction that they have, you know, whether that person has a firearm or not, if you're a TWRA officer, m- chances are that person has a firearm. Right. You know? So, yeah. you know, they, they have to have certain... Yeah, it's a different playing field that they're on yeah. when they're interacting with yeah. with the folks that they're paid to serve and protect. Yep. Yeah, I've heard some weird, you know, one liner like they're you know, they can arrest the president or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Where I mean, if you don't have a fishing license, you know. I mean, <laughs> technically, yeah. <laughs> Everyone has to have a fishing license <laughs> or a yeah. hunting license. Well, it's a, it's it's a fascinating world of, you know, of conservation and and how and how much it takes to actually, you know, to actually do it and and to pull it off. People think think that it just happens, and you know the only real way that we pay for it is through tax dollars, right? And then yeah. through hunting and fishing licenses too. Yeah, I mean, hunting and fishing licenses is huge, and a lot of people don't know as well. There's an extra tax on anything that is hunting and fishing related. Oh, that, so if you buy a fishing rod at Walmart, there's a yeah, little, little there's an extra tax on it. Oh, cool! And that all of that money goes straight back. There, there is no organization in existence that even comes close to how much dollars hunters and fishermen put back into wildlife conservation. Yeah. There, I mean, it's not even close. Um, you know, like I mean, license sales is a huge one. Obviously, state agencies have to be paid, and that you can look at that as wildlife management. But you know. You you want to go out west and shoot an elk? Chances are you're not going to because it's extremely difficult. Right. But a lot of places it's six seven hundred dollars for a tag to even try to even try yeah to get one. And you know you have how many thousands of people that are paying that money, and all of that money is going back to the wildlife, like to the resource. Right. You know, yes, it may pay. Billy, the wildlife officer, but he's doing management work, you know, so it's, it's the same thing. Um, so yeah, there, yeah, there's no, no one comes close to how much money hunters like outdoorsmen put towards back towards resources like that. And so, and that's why the, the habitats are there when you drive through Cades Cove to, yeah. You know, because well, they're being managed. Yeah, right? I mean, national parks are a little different, but like okay. the but like the wildlife management areas, like um, Forks of the River. Yeah, Forks of the River. And I mean, what's the one on the plateau? Um, Catusa. Catusa. Yeah. Catu- I mean, those are specifically managed for wildlife. Like mm-hmm. that is the sole purpose right. of that piece of property. And yeah, like Forks of the River, they have a dove hunt every year. You know, they, they it's open for dove hunting. Like I said 
every dove that comes in there isn't being harvested. You know, Mm -hmm. you have bag limits. They're also very, very, very difficult to shoot because they're very fast. And they're flying towards you most of the time. Yeah. And like, there's so many birds that get a free meal out of that, that that wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for that, you know, those hunter dollars that are going back to, you know, the resource. Yep. Makes good sense, man. And it's worth, like, I think it's worth people really thinking about and uh, appreciating. And I always come back to the people who manage this stuff. It's, yeah. it's worth giving them a pat on the back, realizing Absolutely. that they're your, your friend and that, you know, you, you wouldn't have these populations around here that are as well taken care of if it weren't yeah. for them. Yep, for sure. Dude, you want to go to Canada? Yeah. Let's go Let's do go it. Let's go to Canada. <laughs> Let's go check out some snow geese. I'm excited, man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Thanks for bringing me along. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited you get to come along, see my world a little bit. I we didn't get to talk about that too much, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll do this again in two years. Yeah. I can't believe it's been two years. Has it been two years? Yeah, dude. Oh, my gosh. I know. Time flies. It's been, uh, yeah. It yeah. is. Well, I'm I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to go with you and to and to be up there. We'll uh, we'll put some stuff up on social for people to see us. Absolutely, in, in our camo. To. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so scared. I'm I'm, ex- I'm excited for you to experience it because you know the people we're going with they're incredible, and just kind of getting to see you know everything that we've been talking about, like that whole side of it. I'm excited about it. I, I because I don't know anything about it. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about fly fishing when you took me down to the Hiawassee to shoot that stuff. With, yeah. With with those guys and now I'm obsessed. I, yeah. Well. And so I'm I'm a little nervous <laughs> because I don't need any more hobbies. <laughs> don't take me golfing, dude. Like I don't want to Oh, I just kickstarted my golf habit recently, so Did you? yeah, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so what like what are we in for as far as like what we're what we're doing in Canada shooting these these hunts like what are the mechanics of what's going on there's birds coming into the so you and I are kind of in the same boat I mean I've not been to Canada on a hunt I've been to Canada you and I've been to Canada together (laughs) but that's can't be talked about on the podcast I hope they let us back in that's all I know Um, but uh, yeah I've I've very very few snow goose hunts um it's just not something that's ever really piqued my interest that much but you know hunting in canada i'm not sure exactly i would assume it's going to be pretty similar to what i described earlier you know big spreads of decoys and um and layout blinds Mm -hmm. laying on the ground kind of just looking like a mound of grass um, but yeah, I don't know, man. We're gonna see. It's gonna be an adventure and for us sure. making it look pretty with the camera. We got to make it look pretty, and we got to figure out how to shoot it. That's always the um, that's always the trick with outdoor, you know, media and you know, cinematography is one. You, I mean, it needs to look good, but two, like they don't need to see you, you know. And it, yeah, man. So that's, that's not something I've had to deal with before. Yeah, because it's not like we're in. Con- conspicuous is it yeah you know? no not inconspicuous <laughs> at all with these big cameras so yeah it's 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 a challenge um but i gosh i've absolutely loved it it's been great yeah uh, it's uh it's you know i filmed on in in the oceans of south america belize and you know all the you know untold freshwater streams around here yeah but to be uh, to be filming this kind of wildlife is really exciting for me. Yeah, man, it's because I be... don't know anything about it. Yeah, and that's kind of like 
I don't know. When you go to another country and you look around, you're like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, and then yep. you stay there for a week and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of used to it now. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think I think that's kind of good to take a novice like myself yeah. with you who's yeah. never yeah. seen yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Is I'm gonna fresh be, eyes. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to be amazed yeah. with everything. Well, and so many people have asked me that hunt. They're like, doesn't it like bother you going to all these places and not being able to hunt? Yeah. And maybe it's just me personally, but I have absolutely no problem with it. I just like... When I was younger, absolutely, like it excited me and I wanted to get something for myself. Now, if I take someone hunting and they get something and I see that excitement, that for me is way more rewarding yeah. than me getting something myself. Sure. So being able to go with so many different people and see so many different areas, like I don't care if I'm hunting or not. Like I get to capture that moment, which is back to my love for cinematography and storytelling. I mean, I, it's the best of both worlds. I'm surrounded by the thing that I love to do outside of work while doing work. Yeah. I mean, it's a perfect world for me. It's the best office yeah. is what I say. Oh, people, absolutely. People are like, oh man, yeah, you were down in Columbia. Yeah. A, they asked me the question, was it hard to be there and not fish? My yeah. answer this, you know, kind of the same way Yeah, as, as you did. And then their next question is like, oh, it must be hard. And I'm like, it is hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. It's a lot harder than doing it in a studio. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times standing in the middle of nowhere, like in Oklahoma this year, I stepped out of the truck. It's 4 a.m. I've got about three hours of sleep. It's 15 degrees outside and the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm. Yeah. Bed would be real nice right now. But then you get out there and you see the sunrise and you just see all these amazing things that I feel like people don't get to see or take for granted. And it's like, yeah, I mean, this is worth it. I may be a little cold, but that's why we have nice gear. And it's something that's indelible. Like once you you film it, it's there forever. As long as you hang on to it on a hard drive somewhere. Like it's a moment in time that you're going to watch 10 years later. Absolutely. And see an image and have... And have the story about how it yep. how it came together. Absolutely, it's, it's it's you know tangible in that way. It's not yeah. it's not something that just is fleeting and goes away. Yeah. But it is more difficult. I mean, it's yeah. Very you difficult. put you put these difficult conditions with production. Yeah, which is which are two things that are hard. Yeah, it's hard enough to go hunting without uh, without <laughs> production being attached yeah. to it. It's hard enough to do production yeah. without hunting being attached to it. So yeah. you know you yeah. You put them together, and it's like you're all, you're really compounding these these worlds. You're and stacking the the odds against you. You are big time, but yeah. it's also like it's hard to find people who can do it. It is. It's very difficult that that have a passion for it because for both things. well, you know, with with our company, we have a certain level of expectation of quality of product mm. that we want to accomplish while we're out there, and finding someone who's capable who wants who wants to i mean you know duck hunting's one thing you you go to a nice lodge you sometimes it's a nice lodge sometimes it's not but you go to a place you know you're riding a truck to a field you set out decoys you're hunting you're done by 10 o'clock whitetail hunting i did a hunt in wisconsin this year for four days filming for a camouflage company and we were out daylight to, you know, dusk 
every single day and most days it was well below freezing standing in a tree stand completely silent can't talk nothing can't move that much it's hard to find people who are good at what we do and will go through that sure you're not going to find somebody who doesn't have a passion for the other thing yeah. to yeah. to do that. Yeah. Someone who's a great cinematographer, great director, whatever it is. Yep. You're not going to find somebody who is just going to happen to be able to enjoy that. Yeah. It's something that you have to have a passion for already. And then on top of that, yep. and this kind of comes along with the territory, but like the third part on top of that is it has to be somebody that you want to spend time in the trenches with yeah, too. Absolutely. It, it, that's just as important. I mean, if you're, if you're waking up at 4 AM and going to bed at midnight every night with somebody, you better hope that you get along. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good they are. Can if make they it, can do the work. It can make it real bad real quick. Yeah, make you don't, not want to do it at all. Yeah. So, yeah. and, but you know, usually when you're doing things like that, it's inherently cool people that are, that you're yeah. spending your time oh, yeah. with. Like-minded people that, you know, trying to do the same thing yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Well, cool, dude. Let's go do it. Let's yeah. go make some pretty Let's pictures go. in the, in the Canada. great white north. We got to do our Arrive Can app and oh, all yeah. kinds of fun stuff. Check in our all our documentation. Yeah. yeah. We'll see how it's changed since we've, uh, since we've gotten a bartender suspended there last. <laughs> you said it, not me. Hey, Hubert. <laughs> all right, dude. Take care. Thanks a lot for coming by again. Yeah, man. I we'll, appreciate it we greatly. Won't ma- yeah, we won't make it so long between before the next one. For sure. Cool. Love it. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right. How'd we do? Love that dude. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Check us out on Patreon if you want to support the podcast. We'd appreciate it so much. Patreon.com slash South of Scruffy. Follow us on Instagram at South of Scruffy. Send us an email, southofscruffy at gmail.com. Again, thank you guys so much for being here. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Pitchwire, play me out. <laughs>